All right, thank you guys uh, for joining us. Uh, please turn your Bibles to Acts 20, 17 through 18, and then 28 through 32. I'm sorry? Oh, you know what? Uh, we do not have extra Bibles right here, but if you look with the person next to you, I'm sure they, they'll share it with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a reminder. We will bring extra Bibles and have them on the welcome table. We used to do that, actually. Okay, Acts 20, 17 through 18, and then 28 through 32. If you're joining us here in person, you'll see it on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, you'll see it on your screen at home. This is God's word. Now from Miletus, he, meaning Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory and we thank you so much for this gathering. Thank you for, Father, it just your grace and your mercies that are new every morning. And we know, Father God, you are very much here with us. You are reaching out to us, even during that worship time. And even now, as we hear your word, you are reaching out. And I pray that you would speak, that you would make your will for this church clear. And that, Father God, this is not something that we're just hearing about other people, but this involves all of us. So I pray that you would, Father God, make that word relevant, that you would help us to connect these dots and to see how this is truly your will for my life, not just people here or people out there, but my life. So we thank you, Father God. Speak in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the theme for this year, which is disciple. Just one word, disciple. But today, I actually wanted to take a break from that series and talk about something different, but something related to discipleship. And what I want to talk about is church leadership. And in particular, I want to talk about elders. Now, how many of you guys came here today wanting to hear about elders? <laughs> Probably not a lot of people. This might be the topic that you least expected to hear about today. It might also be a topic that you are least interested in hearing about today. But too bad, you're going to hear about it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, you are going to hear about it. But this is actually something very relevant to our church, and I'm going to be explaining more why in, in a few moments. But all of us here, we have different experiences with elders, don't we? Some of us here, we have no experience. You're not even sure what an elder is. What is that? Is that something I can get on Amazon? I don't know. <laughs> you have no connection with elders. It's a non-issue. For others, you've had a very positive experience. You know, I have this pastor friend, and he's actually pastoring a church now in Arizona, but he mentioned this more than once while I was with him in L.A. doing ministry together. But he would share off and on about how he had these elders at his church growing up. And how he was so likely to go wayward, but these men, these godly men surrounded him. And they really impacted his spiritual life. And so he would bring this up every now and then, that they had the greatest impact on his spiritual life. And so maybe some of you, you're like that. You've had these elders 
in the past that you knew and they impacted your life. So it was very positive. And then for others, you've had a very negative experience. And I'm actually in this group. Because I remember back when I was in high school, I was at church on a Sunday after service. I was in the fellowship hall eating lunch with my friends. And then suddenly there was all this yelling, a ruckus. And then I looked up and then there were two men about to throw punches at each other. Just straight up a fist fight breaking out in the fellowship hall. Praise God. (laughs) And then all of a sudden all these people rushed them and pulled them apart. And basically these two men were about to get into a huge fight over this division in the church caused by the elders. So thankfully, the two men about to fight weren't the elders. I think they were just attendees, members. But this huge division had developed in the church because of the elders. And then eventually, that church split. So I remember that sad day, sitting in my youth group, and then having to say bye to some of the students because they were leaving because their parents were taking off. So some of you here might have a similar experience like that. So my point is, is that we have a variety of different experiences when it comes to elders. But what I want to encourage you today with is if you consider the promise your church, then this topic directly affects your experience that you will have here. And I believe it will be a positive experience. Because as God moves us more in the direction of having elders and being elder-led, It will affect how you will learn the word of God here at this church. It will affect how you will grow spiritually in this church. How you're going to be cared for when you're in need. How things are going to get organized in our church and how you can get involved in these things. All these things get affected and that directly impacts you. And here's why. It's because elders are leaders. You can't buy an elder on Amazon. These These are leaders who God gives to the church in order to care for the church, protect the church, guide the church, and help it grow spiritually. That's what an elder is. And we're going to get much more into the definition. And we have finally come to the point in our church where we are ready to transition to this model of leadership. So I'm very excited. And I'm not talking about next year or maybe at the end of this year. I'm talking about very soon And just within a month or two, we will be raising up our first elders in this church. And this is very exciting. And I'll explain the details more at the very end of the message and in the weeks to come. But before we even get into that, who are elders, though, exactly? Where are elders from? Why are elders needed? And then finally, who can serve as an elder? So these are the questions that I want to look at today with all of you. And it's based on our passage in Acts 20 and other passages. And I just want to warn you, today's message is more doctrinal. In other words, it's more teaching. So we're going to be going through a lot of different verses, a lot of different passages. So just bear with me. It's going to be a little different. But I just need to lay this out so we're all clear on this topic. So first, who are elders? Who are elders? Well, if you look at Acts 20, we have this very touching scene where Paul knows prophetically, the Holy Spirit told him that he's going to be going to Jerusalem very soon. And once he gets there, he's going to face a lot of hardship, persecution, and imprisonment. And so knowing that ahead of time, he said, I'm probably never going to see my beloved churches again, this side of heaven. So there were all these churches that he planted, he was involved in, and he was probably never going to see them again. So what he did in Acts 20 is he called the elders from Ephesus to come and see him in Miletus. So we see that in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. 
And Miletus was a small Greek city about 50 miles south of Ephesus. It's about an hour drive in modern day distance. If you were to just drive it today from Ephesus to Miletus, about an hour drive. But for these elders, they didn't have cars. So to go on foot, it would have taken a long time, but they all showed up. And the reason is because they love Paul, and Paul loved them. And when they got to Miletus, Paul gave them this sermon, this, this talk with them, and a series of encouragements. And this, by the way, is the only sermon Paul gives in the book of Acts to believers. Every other sermon was given to non-believers. He was witnessing. But here, he's just preaching to the believers, the elders, and we actually have a record of it. So then who are these guys that he talked to? Who are these elders? Well, based on what Paul says to them, they were clearly leaders in the Ephesian church. They were leaders. And the word elder in verse 17 is the word presbyterus. Does that sound like something? Presbyterian, right? Presbyterus. And on its own, that word doesn't really tell us much. It simply means church leader, an older person. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be older in age because Timothy was a young elder, so this could be older in spiritual maturity, but that's what it means. But then Paul immediately says two things that clarify who elders are okay, in the very next verses. So what did he say? He said in verse 18, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So if you like circling, then circle those words, overseers and flock. Because Paul is saying right here, elders are overseers of the flock of God's people. So elders are kind of like a shepherd. Okay, a flock is a group of sheep, right? And so they are overseers of a group of sheep, these flock. And of course, we're talking about people here. But elders are a kind of shepherd. They provide care and protection for God's people, especially through teaching the word. But they're more than that. They're also a kind of overseer. They're somebody, they are people who govern, they guide, and they lead God's people. These are elders. So an elder is a shepherd and overseer. And when we turn to other parts of the New Testament, this is exactly what we see. But 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So did you catch that? Peter is very clear. He's saying, I exhort the elders among all of you as a fellow elder, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock of God. So what does that mean? Elders are shepherds. And we're going to see in a little bit what that means exactly, the details of that. 1 Timothy 3.1, we see something similar. Paul described elders a little differently. But he said, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. So here in the Greek, that word overseer is different from the word elder. But Paul was clearly talking about elders. He's clearly talking about the qualifications for elders. Because immediately after these verses, he moves into the qualifications for deacons. And there are only two types of leaders in the early church, deacons and elders. And they're almost the exact same set of qualifications, so we know these overseers are the elders. So elders are overseers. Does that make sense? These are the people who govern and lead the church. So this is who elders are. Okay, they are church leaders who function as shepherds and overseers. And some of you guys are already starting to tune out going, what does this have to do with me? Everything. 
okay? If you go to a church and you have a terrible experience, it could be that you have maybe some bad relationships there, you ran into some people, and they kind of cause problems. But more likely than not, a lot of the reason why people have terrible experiences at church is because they are at a church where they have terrible leadership or faulty leadership or a leadership that is a little bit astray from the word of God or leadership that might not be faithful, right? They're unfaithful, elders that are not faithful. And so that trickles down eventually to this experience that you're having and you're like, I don't even know why, but it's not even good, right? And so this directly impacts how we encounter God and experience God in church. And this is how important it is. And so you see this emphasis again and again and again in the New Testament. Okay, these are the elders. They are church leaders who function as shepherds and overseers. And interestingly, elder is the most common name for leaders over the church in the New Testament. Did you know that? By far, that is the most common name. You know, today the most common name for a leader of the church is what? Pastor, right? Everyone says that, pastor this, pastor that, pastor so-and-so. But did you know that that word is used only once in the New Testament to describe some sort of a leader? Only once. Ephesians 4.11, and Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's the only place in the entire New Testament the word pastor appears. And yet that's the most common name for leader in the church now? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But far more than pastor, you see again and again and again the word elder. It just comes up repeatedly. And by the way, Bible scholars say that word pastor, which just means shepherd, is another name for elder. That's what Paul's talking about here in 4.11, Ephesians 4.11. So a pastor is just another elder. And in some churches today, they just say the pastor is the first among equals in a group of elders. They're just one of the elders, maybe the first among equals. But they're just, he is just another elder. So this is who elders are. Got that? Okay, question number two. Where are elders from? Well, if you go back to Acts 20, verse 18, it says, And when they came to him, Paul said to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So where do elders come from? Okay, who calls and places elders in the church? Ultimately God, right? God. And why do I say that? Well, how is God present in the church today? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. See, God the Father is on the throne. Jesus Christ in his human body is standing at the right hand of God the Father. I know we say Jesus here and Jesus right next to me. I know we use that language. But who's really here? The Holy Spirit. And it's the spirit of Christ. And that's why we say Jesus lives inside of me. But it's really the Holy Spirit who is here, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. And that's why Paul said, it's the Holy Spirit who has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit is God working and active in the church today. So please, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. The idea of having elders and raising up elders to lead the church is not my idea. Is not man's idea or anyone's idea here. Is God's idea. Is his design for church leadership. Paul said the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. But now when we look at other parts of the New Testament, we notice something. The Holy Spirit works through human beings to raise up elders. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just show up in the sky or appear in a vision. He could. 
but it's mainly through other human beings that he raises up leaders. So Acts 14.23, and when they, Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. So Paul and Barnabas were used by the Holy Spirit to raise up elders. Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So here we have somebody else. This is a non-apostolic minister, Titus, raising up elders. So the Holy Spirit worked through Titus. 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the gift you have, Timothy, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So who raised up Timothy as an elder pastor? Other elders. So do you see that? There's a variety of different people in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit worked through to raise up elders in every church, in all the churches. And so there's a variety of ways that the Holy Spirit works, a variety of different kinds of people the Holy Spirit works, but ultimately is God. Elders come from God. And this didn't just happen occasionally or in one city or in one kind of church. But this happened in all the churches, in all the cities. This was the pattern of church leadership in the New Testament. I can show you a lot more verses to prove this, but let me just point out one. But in the book of James, this is very insightful, but James 1.1, James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So here, at the very beginning of his letter, he's talking about who he's writing this letter to. Who is he writing it to? Jewish Christian believers living outside of Judea in the dispersion. This would be Asia Minor in the Mediterranean. These are house churches scattered beyond Judea in Asia Minor, the Mediterranean. And then what does he say to these churches? All these churches scattered out there. Later in chapter 5, verse 14, this is what he said. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, your church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So this is amazing. But James is writing this letter to all these churches just scattered everywhere, right? And in chapter 5, James just simply assumes that all these churches scattered everywhere have what? That they all have elders. He just assumes it. And he says, if there's anybody sick in your church, just call your elders and have them pray over that sick person. He just takes it for granted. He assumes that there are elders in all these churches. So do you see that? Elders were appointed in every church, in every city, all throughout the New Testament. This was the pattern. Wayne Grudem, he says this in his very popular book on systematic theology. If you ever go to seminary, you're going to probably have to read Grudem. He's kind of like the textbook that, you, that everybody reads. But he said, no passage in the New Testament suggests that any church, no matter how small, had only one elder. The consistent New Testament pattern is a plurality of elders in every church and in every town. So that's the first thing. Second, we do not see a diversity of forms of government in the New Testament church, but a unified and consistent pattern in which every church had elders governing it and keeping watch over it. That's a big statement. See, today you go to like one church, they have this kind of government. You go to this other church, they have like board members. You have another church where nobody's leading anybody, right? We're all leading each other. I mean, there's all different kinds of models. And yet, Grudem says, when you study the New Testament, there's really only one kind of model of leadership. You just have elders. 
leading the churches and deacons supporting them. So this is the consistent pattern of the New Testament church. They were elder-led. And for these reasons, we can conclude elders are God's design for church leadership. This is where elders come from. They come from God. That's question number two. Okay, question number three. Why are elders needed? Why are they needed? Well, Paul tells us in his meeting with the Ephesian elders. Look at verse, Acts 20, verses 28 through 31. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. So here Paul is continuing that picture of the shepherd. And he gives two reasons why elders are needed. Two reasons. First, to care for the church of God. To care for the church of God. Elders are called shepherds, right? And what do shepherds do? They care for the flock. They care for the sheep. Actual shepherds care for physical sheep. And when you look at the example of real shepherds, I'm talking about real shepherds taking care of these animals, right? You can learn a lot about what elders are called to do. But real shepherds, they keep a watchful eye on sheep. They also meet the basic needs of sheep. They actually feed the sheep. They lead and guide the sheep. If a sheep falls down and gets hurt, or maybe another animal comes and attacks them in the night, they come and bandage the wounds of the sheep. We all know that because we all know about shepherds, right? <laughs> no, we don't. But, but, but shepherds, that's what they do, right? They all they take care of the sheep. And so in a very similar way, what do elders do? They care for God's people. They keep, an, they keep a watchful eye on people's spiritual well-being. They meet the basic needs for their walk with God. Elders feed the people the word of God. They lead and guide them spiritually. And finally, they bandage the wounds people get from this world. You know, I, I remember one time I was in my college ministry and I had this one uh, sister that I was serving with and she was from Singapore. And I remember we were just kind of like talking about this pastor and that pastor and then she just said, Roy, Roy. And she just kind of stopped me and she said, do you know how important it is that we have leaders that are faithful in the church? Do you know how important it is? And she got all like serious, you know. She's like, it's so important that you go to a church with faithful and, and honorable and good leaders and pastors and elders. She didn't talk about elders, but that's what she was talking about. These elders, right? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But this is why. It's because look at all the things that God expects these leaders to do. They truly watch over the spiritual well-being of God's people. You know, one book summarized the elders' role like this. Overseers or elders teach, pray, and serve so that their brothers and sisters might know Jesus more intimately, obey him more faithfully, and reflect his character more clearly, both individually and as a church family. Okay, this is so important, you guys. Here's how Peter described the elders' care over God's people. But Peter said this, chapter 5, 1 through 3. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a particular in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because someone's forcing you, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain so that you could be somebody and like, you know, get praise or money or whatever. No, 
but willingly as God would have you, eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. See, that's how Peter described the role of an elder. It's beautiful. It's also very humbling. I remember reading this back when I was in seminary, knowing that this is part of my calling to be a pastor. And it's like, who is up for this task? Who is up for this? And yet, God calls people to do this by his grace. So they care for God's people like shepherds. And it's so sad how in the modern church today, pastors and elders have been molded more by corporations than the Bible. So if this is so clear, this is their role, then why is it that so many pastors, that's not really what they look like? And I remember hearing this story years ago. I don't remember the exact details, but some Japanese businessmen came to America on a visit, and during their time here, they had a chance to meet up with some different churches and pastors, and they also met up with some other leaders of other religions. And then afterwards, their host asked these businessmen, hey, what was it like meeting the pastors? And they said, well, when we met the American pastors, the impression we got was that they're like CEOs. Okay, they kind of look like CEOs to us. But when we met the Buddhist monks, the impression we got is they are like holy men. I was like, ouch. (laughs) So when I see Christian pastors and talk to them, yeah, they're kind of like business CEO, corporation leaders. But Buddhist monks, they're the holy men. That's a sad indictment. That's a sad assessment. And yet when you look at scripture, who are the elders and pastors? They're shepherds, right? They're shepherds. They care for God's people. So that's the first thing. Another reason elders are needed is they protect God's people. They protect. So go back to Acts 20, verse 29. Paul said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. So think about this. Paul is giving his final talk with his beloved elders. He's never going to see them again this side of heaven. And what does he warn them? The biggest part of his speech is he's saying, be watchful. Be watchful over yourself and over the church. Why? Because there will be deception. Evil men will come in after I, I leave. He said here, I know, not I believe, I think it'll happen. No, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. There was a certainty about it. And then he went on, for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish. Admonish just means warn. I was just warning you guys nonstop with tears, saying, watch out, be careful. There will be false teaching, there will be errors, there will be evil people who will come in to divide the church. And so in Paul's mind, protecting the flock was just as important as caring for the flock. And Paul lived way back 2,000 years ago How much more do believers need protection today? Because when you read Jesus' teaching on the last days, what did he say? He said in Matthew 24, as my return draws near, deception will increase throughout the earth. And he said, watch out. Watch out. And according to Jesus, deception will be the greatest sign of the last days. That's how you know Jesus' return is getting near. Deception will just get greater and greater and greater. And what the Bible says here here is, Oftentimes, the only defense between you and deception will be a faithful elder. That'll be it. It'll be a spiritual leader at the church you go to saying, hey, 
Be careful. Be careful what you're reading. Be careful what you're listening to. You know that thing that you're saying right now? That's actually not true. You need to watch out. That's the only thing that's going to stand between you and this growing deception. That's what the Bible says. And the quickest way for a church to become deceived are unfaithful elders. Why do churches go astray? I remember somebody saying this, but whenever you see a church go astray, it never begins with the person sitting in the pew. That's not where deception begins. It always begins with the pastor and the elders. They get off, and then the whole church gets off. It always starts there. So the responsibilities upon elders are great. They're enormous. If I think about it again, who is up for this? Only by the grace of God. And this is why the judgment upon spiritual leaders, elders, and teachers is so great. God says it's a stricter standard. The rewards are also greater, but the judgment is also potentially greater. Listen to what God said to the faithless shepherds in Ezekiel 34. But God said, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. You, the weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. See, that's the deception. They were just open targets for deception and heresy and error. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you shepherds. And his judgment came upon them. So care and protection of the church. This is why elders are needed. Again, who's up for this task? Even as I preach this, I, I have fear upon me. Say, oh Lord, have mercy. Okay, only by the grace of God. So that's why shepherds are needed or elders. And then finally, question number four. This is the last one. Who can serve as an elder? Who can serve as an elder? Well, Paul did not answer this question directly in Acts 20, but he simply said to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves. In other words, he told them, don't disqualify yourselves but rather pay attention to your walk with God and your way of life. Okay, that's what he told them here. So the implication here is that there are certain qualifications that you need to uphold and meet, right? Pay attention to yourselves. There's a standard. You need to, you need to uphold these standards. But what exactly are these qualifications or the standard? Well, in order to answer this, we have to leave Acts 20, and we need to go to 1 Timothy 3. So if you look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Paul lays out the qualifications for elders. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to briefly highlight what they are, okay? So who can serve as an elder? First, someone who desires to be an elder. Okay, nobody should do this kicking and screaming. No one's dragged into this, right? 1 Timothy 3.1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. And by the way, this is how my journey to becoming a pastor started. I simply desired it. I'm like, hmm, what if I became a pastor? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> right? But then that desire just kept coming back and it grew and grew and grew. So oftentimes, that's where it begins. Now, that is not the only indicator. There needs to be more, but that's how it can begin. Second, someone who demonstrates godly character. 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 3, and then 7. 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And then verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So here Paul covers a variety of character issues. We're not going to go into each one. But he covers pretty much everything. But he says elders must have certain reputations with others, right? A certain kind of reputation. An elder must have a certain way of dealing with the opposite sex. A certain way of handling their finances. A certain way of dealing with conflict. A certain way of handling relationships within the church with other believers. These are all character qualities. So it's a pretty comprehensive list. And this is more than any other qualification, and, and more than anything else, I'm sorry, this can make or break an elder being qualified to serve, more than anything else. You know, years ago when this church was uh, first getting started, uh, we started this church, I got sent out from a church in LA to start this. Before it began, I went around interviewing different pastors, different church planners, to just kind of get their experience and see what it's like. And I remember I asked this question to every single church planner that I interviewed. I talked to about maybe about half a dozen. And I asked each of them, if you could do it all over again, what would you do different? And their answers were very insightful. But with the exception of maybe one or two, they all gave the same answer. I think God was trying to say something to me. But they all said the same thing. They said, if I could start the church all over again, I would raise leaders more slowly. They all said that, with the exception of maybe one or two. I would be more careful and more slow in raising up leaders. And the reason why they said that is because when they raised up leaders too quickly, character issues just came up. There were massive character problems. And that, more than anything, just ground the church to a halt, right? Caused immense problems. So this is why the New Testament is so clear. An elder must meet these character qualifications. Okay, not perfectly. Who's going to meet these perfectly? Otherwise, nobody can serve. But overall, what Paul is saying is, when people look at an elder at your church, they must see these qualities for the most part, and they must be growing in that person for the most part. They must have that kind of a reputation. This is the way I like to say it, but there's no question mark over their life. You know how some people, they have a question mark, and you just kind of live with it, right? Oh, yeah, my friend is kind of like that. They have this question mark. Well, an elder or a leader in the church cannot have that question mark over their life. That's what it's saying. So that's the second qualification. Third, someone who is able to teach the Bible. 1 Timothy 2.2, it simply says able to teach. In the list of character qualities, this is the only skill mentioned. And why is that? Well, it's because elders primarily minister with their mouth. That's their tool of ministry. It's their mouth. They are shepherds. They're speaking the word of God. They're giving counsel, guidance. They have to teach. And this is different from deacons who primarily minister with their hands. Okay, deacons are hand ministers, but elders are mouth ministers. So elders must be able to teach God's word. That's pretty straightforward. Okay, fourth, the fourth qualification, someone who manages his family well. 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I think that speaks for itself. If you're going to be a leader in the church, how can you possibly lead and care for the church if you can't even do that for your family? 
Now, I want you to please take note of this, but Paul did not say an elder must have a family. Okay, that's not a qualification to be an elder, that you must be married with kids. Nor does it say that he must be married. Actually, earlier on, when it says he must be the husband of one wife, the actual translation there in the Greek is he must be a one-woman man. And that's probably a good idea, right? You want your elders, your leaders in the church to be a one-woman man, right? But, but that's what it literally means. So you could even be single and be a one-woman man, right? Not married yet. But this is what Paul is saying. If he is married with kids, then he needs to manage that family well. So that's four. Number five, the fifth qualification, someone who is not a recent convert. 1 Timothy 3.6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And so that's straightforward as well. Okay, you don't want somebody who just came to faith in Christ and now is like, whoa, I'm an elder in the church. Whoa, look at me, right? And all these thoughts are going through their head. No, don't do that. Let them get seasoned for a while. Let them marinate in the gospel for a while. Let them take some bruise and hits for a while. So no one who's a recent convert. And then number six, and this one is going to take a little bit more explanation, but someone who is male, someone who is male, 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 3, it says you're the husband of one wife. He must manage his own household well. So here Paul just simply assumes that someone qualified to be an elder is a male. And you see this pattern in the New Testament. We do not have one single woman mentioned as an elder in the New Testament, although you do have several women mentioned as deacons. That's another kind of leader. You, you see their names mentioned by name, but never an elder. And Jesus, when he appointed the 12 apostles who became the first elders of the church, he didn't pick any women. They were all men, right? All 12 were men. Now, in a different era, this would be a simple point and we would move on, but we live in an era when this raises all kinds of bells and alarms in people, even within the church, because we're just a product of our culture. That's simply the fact. We are all shaped by our culture. And there's a lot I can say about this, but for the sake of time, I just want to make a few quick points, okay? First, I know this sounds incredibly limiting to women, but here's the truth. Everyone is limited in some way. Everybody. Okay, you come to this church just because you're one gender, not another, it doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want. No, we're all limited. Even I'm limited. Okay, everybody's limited. It's simply a lie that we can do whatever we want with no limits. Okay, that's a lie from the devil. So for example, you could argue having a baby grow inside of you and having that unique bond with your child is an experience on par with being an elder. It's a blessing on par with being a spiritual leader in a church. Maybe even more. But you guys know that is not something I or any man here will ever experience. I mean, I love my children and I have a bond with them, but my bond is different from my wife's because she carried them inside of her body. She was with them for nine months when I kind of was not. And that's a limit that I just have to deal with. Men are limited in that. Right? And there are many other roles even within the church. If you were to sign up for something, you just can't do whatever you want. There are all kinds of limits, in, in, even in that unique role that you're in. So everyone is limited in some way by God, not just women. Okay, second, the second thing I want to say is male leadership in the church is similar to male leadership in the home. The church is modeled after the home in many ways in the New Testament. And here's how God envisions male leadership in the home. 
Okay, we need to understand this because we're so just shaped by our culture. Some people, they just can't even hear this. They tune out because you're more shaped by culture than scripture. But here's how God envisions male leadership in the home. It is a blessing for the women and the children. Oh, how can you say that? Well, I'm gonna double down. It's a beautiful blessing <laughs> for the women and children. Okay, why? Well, according to Ephesians 5, God has given authority and leadership responsibility to the man, the husband or father, to do what? To be the king and use people and abuse people? Is that why? No. To be better and elevated above others? No. God has given authority and leadership responsibilities to the husband and father so that he would lay down his life. Be clear on that, please. So that every day he would wake up and not live for himself, but think about how can I serve and bless my wife and my children so that they would flourish and fulfill God's purpose. So that he would lay down his life. It's right there in the text, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life, gave himself up for her. So that's the kind of authority and leadership responsibility God has given to the husband and father. See, it's an authority for the other. It's an authority that you use, if you're a man, a husband or father, to serve. And that's the only proper way to use that authority. Now, there may be some women going, well, I don't want that. I never asked for it, and I don't want it, right? And there are all kinds of people in the world, and that might be true, okay, right? Some women's like, I never asked for that. I don't want that. That's fine. But I would respond to some of these women who say that, are you sure? Are you really sure? Because if you desire to be married, are you sure that you don't want a man who would marry you and then be so committed to you and see you as so valuable and precious that every day he would want to lay down his life for you? and do whatever he can to sacrifice himself so that you would flourish and draw closer to God? You don't want that? Okay. But something inside of me tells me I don't quite believe you, right? That that would not be what you would deeply want in your life. Not a man that you have to coerce and get him to do this. No, he has the initiative, the leadership, the servant leadership responsibility. No, I'm called to lay down my life, and I will do it. And by the way, most men today, they don't struggle with being chauvinists or dictators. I've known guys my whole life. I am a guy. (laughs) For every chauvinist I knew, there were probably 10 guys who had the opposite problem. They were just passive. Passive. And let me tell you this. Women who are married, they struggle just as much with chauvinists as they do with passive husbands. Just as much. They're tortured by both. And so who wouldn't want a man who says, you know what, I'm a servant and I'm gonna serve you. I wanna lay down my life and that's the authority God has given me. And outside of that, I have no authority. That's the only authority and responsibility I have is to lead so that I may serve and lay down my life for my family. So why am I saying all this? Well, now when you come to the elders of the church, it's the same thing. In the New Testament, the church is modeled after the family. So elders have the same authority. It is not an authority to abuse and use people and to be bigger and better than others. No, you've already then disqualified yourself. It is an authority to do one thing and one thing only. Serve God's people. Lay down your life. Lay down your life. So that's my little speech on that final point. So what am I trying to say here? What I'm trying to say here is God is moving us 
Okay, he is calling us to this model of biblical leadership in the church, which is an elder-led model. And this is very exciting for me that we have actually come to this point as a church. Because our church, we began as just a few people sitting in a living room. Okay, we're a church plant from another church. And I remember when we first started at this church, I mean, whatever leader we had was just somebody who was available, right? They just kind of stuck around and they became leaders. I remember one of my seminary professors said, planning a church is like building an airplane that's already taken off, and it's true. That's exactly right. Because right when we started our church, it just felt like, oh my God, this thing's already like in the air, taken off, but we're like not done, right? I gotta put in the chairs, and it's like I gotta still like paint the walls, and there's a lot to do. And that's how it felt with our leadership as well. And so for many years, it was basically just me working with several ministry leaders together as one big leadership group, and that's how we led the church for a while. Eventually, I started having this core group of leaders within that group. I just had a few you know, leaders as a core, and I would work a little bit more closely with them. They would have a little bit more responsibility. But that was basically our leadership structure. It was just one big, happy leadership group, right? And we just kind of did everything together. But now we are finally at the point where we can move into this biblical model of having elders. And so here's the announcement today, brothers and sisters. But I am very excited to announce that we are going to be raising up and appointing our first elders very soon. And I'll tell you who they are. Okay, in the future, down the line, we're going to have a whole process of nominating, right? Everybody in the church can nominate people. There needs to be a certain number of nominations to be considered, and then they're going to get vetted, and then I'll meet with them for many, many you know, months uh, to do training, and then, and then eventually everyone votes. But this time around, it's going to be a little different. This time around, these brothers who are being nominated, it's more organic, because as they were getting more and more involved in the church, I just started working with them, and then I invited them to meet with me for a whole year. So we've been meeting pretty much regularly for an entire year. Okay, working through different material, talking about elder uh, responsibilities and all this stuff. And so finally, we wrapped that up, and now we're at the point of presenting them for nomination and then eventually a vote. So the members are going to take a vote during the members' meeting on February 5th, the meeting that Anson announced. So who are the brothers I'm talking about? It's Daniel Joe and Sam Anik. Praise God. So these are the brothers <laughs> that we're very excited to nominate. I didn't expect that. Praise God. <laughs> I didn't expect that to pause. I just thought it would be like, hmm. <laughs> but I'm very excited. I mean, these are just awesome brothers. Okay, these are godly brothers, humble brothers. In many ways, they didn't want this, right? Um, I mean, they're willing, right? They're willing, but it wasn't something that they were jumping to do. And yet, as they prayed, as we began to meet regularly and work together, it became clear that this is right, that this is what God is calling them to do. So I'm very excited. Um, it's been wonderful meeting with them for an entire year. And now we're at a point where we want to make this official. So we're very excited to nominate and then in the near future vote in, God willing, vote in Brother Daniel and Brother Sam as our first elders. Amen. So with that, that is the big announcement. That is the, the message I wanted to give today. So let's just bow our heads in prayer. And I'm very excited. I'm so excited. And this is going to really be a blessing in our church as well. But Father God, we just humbly come before you, Lord. And Lord, we are truly nothing. 
that you would even involve us in your ministry and in the building of your church. That in itself is a wonder. But the fact that you would even call some of us to not only just participate, but to actually shepherd, that you would entrust that responsibility, Lord, that's just unbelievable to me because truly, who is up for that task? Nobody. But Lord God, but we, we rejoice and we celebrate what you're doing in our church. We are just so excited to see this come to pass. But Lord God, we want to have godly, biblical leadership in our church. And we already have wonderful leaders, Lord. We have many leaders, more than just Daniel and Sam. But Lord God, but this is a big step towards this biblical model of elder-led church. So Lord God, thank you so much. We give you all the glory. And I pray that as we move forward from here, that you would just guide us every step. And I pray, Father God, that more than just getting this going, Father, that it would truly bear fruit. That as these brothers begin to just really um, minister, as they're empowered and released to just minister, that it would just be a true blessing to the church. So Lord God, we love you. We give you all the glory. We praise your holy name. And Lord God, this involves all of us. It's not just like a few people doing this and watch us. Lord, it involves all of us. It affects all of us. And that's why we talked about it today. So Lord God, we thank you so much. Make that vision clear in all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's just come before the Lord before we close with final worship. Can you just pray? Can you just pray for those brothers? Pray for me. Pray for our church. But again, I, I emphasize this point. This affects all of us here, all of us. But let's just pray and ask God for his protection, his guidance, his favor. And then we'll close with final worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just want to worship you. For you are a good God. You're a mighty God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, Lord God, we just come before you, Lord, and we just ask that you would please bless and that you would guide and that you would empower, Lord, our church as we transition into this new model of leadership. And this is just the beginning, Lord. I pray for many more elders in the future and, and even deacons, and, and we want staff, Father. But, Lord God, but this is the first step. And we want to just pray, Father God, here in the congregation. We just want to lift up to you, Brother Daniel and Sam. Thank you so much, Father God, for their lives and their testimony and the work you're doing in them. And I pray and ask, oh God, that even now, Lord, that you would just 
powerfully work in their hearts and that you would lead them so that they can serve this church. They already are, but even in greater ways, deeper ways. And be with me, Father God, and give me, Father God, wisdom so that I can carefully navigate these changes and these new things, oh God. We just humble ourselves before you. It's just about different roles, Lord. It's not about who's greater, who's lesser. It's not about that at all. But it's about just different roles. So we thank you so much, Father God, for the new things you're doing. Please, guide and lead this church, Father God. And Father God, you also just put this on my heart, Father God, but I also want to lift up the women in this church, Father. Because, Lord God, not in any way, Father, I believe your heart is to limit them or to exclude them from ministry, not in any way. It is no accident that historically women made up the majority of the New Testament church, the ancient church. There's no accident that historically women were far more likely to be on the mission field advancing the kingdom of God than men were historically. So you've used women in mighty, mighty ways. And nowhere in scripture does it say that you only give certain gifts to men and certain spiritual gifts to women. No, all the gifts are both men and women. And it's because, Lord, you use both in powerful ways. But it's not just any which way with no limits, but there is an order. And there are certain limits on all of us, on all of us. So I pray, Father God, that you would just encourage even the women in our church, that you want to use them in mighty, mighty ways, even in leadership roles, in teaching roles. So, Lord God, we thank you so much, Father God. So I pray for that encouragement as well. So, Lord, we thank you. We give you all the glory and all the praise. Lord, you are a mighty, mighty God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's rise for final worship.